to be here one day, and then suddenly vanish without a trace, leaving nothing behind but unanswered questions and speculations. What a terrible thought. Those who disappear under the most mysterious of circumstances leave a lasting mark on history. Welcome to Curse of the Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Curse of the Podcast. I'm your host this time. My name is Kirsty, and I'm joined, as always, with my three friends. That would Justin. be us. Yeah, we're doing it all at the same time. Everyone, <laughs> one, <laughs> two, three. Justin. Yay! If you don't know by now, then that's your problem. You should go back and listen and know names. If you don't know, don't, don't alienize people. You know. <laughs> alienize, alienate. I do, Chanel. I got you. So we're on Zoom again, just so everyone knows. Yeah. Uh, doing our part. It's been, you know, it's been a time. California is, you know, California. hot as balls. <laughs> yeah. Yep. On top of not being able to leave, it's just insanely hot. It's true. We are not all over at Kate's house enjoying her AC. That's well, true. two of the two, two of, of the four are not. <laughs> I mean, I have AC, but the sun, like, at this time, beats directly into my room. Oh, yeah. Oh, you have a western-facing room? We have a western-facing everything. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. The whole place. Yeah. So, it's hot. But, you know, it is what it is. We we close all the blinds, crank the AC, and sit in our You should get um, uh, blackout curtains. Yeah. I should. I thought about it. I have them in my room, and it keeps the room literally 20 degrees cooler. Yeah. In the house I'm in, the room I am in is fucking hot, because it's no insulation and just hits the sun always. Yep. No matter matter what time of day, it's rough. (laughs) And then it gets super, super cold. I still, like, in high school when I was in that room, Mm -hmm. I I remember waking up for school and literally seeing my breath. Oh yeah, shivering. Yeah, we used to make your mom uh, like move that heater into the room while we got that ready. Thing so we were like, works. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, the radiators. Yeah, that yeah. thing works too well. It's it's heated its last winter. Unfortunately, it definitely yeah. like <gasps> sent a power surge through my PlayStation. The the, <laughs> the outlet that it was hooked <laughs> into like fried everything. Yeah. Um, but no use thinking about that it's time to move on i don't need a heater right now anyways that's a problem for future frankie and that guy's an asshole yeah. he hasn't done anything <laughs> for me <laughs> so what's the episode kirsty uh so this time i chose mysterious vanishings because yeah. we were before we started recording i was talking to you guys about how scary that is to me that you can you know go missing and people just like could like never find you it's that's true. scary the it's world true. is a big place. It's too big. It's too Wait. big. Yeah. Um, I actually, there, there's some pretty famous, like, high-profile missing person cases, like Jimmy Hoffa. Oh, yeah. I um, about have, I, have I ever told you my, my Jimmy Hoffa story? Because I think it's pretty fascinating. Do you know Jimmy I Hoffa? Know. I don't know Jimmy Hoffa, but I know Jimmy Hoffa's grandson. Oh, really? Yeah, we went to junior high school together. His name's... Uh, uh, I'm not going to toss his name on there. Yeah, I was he's about to say, Facebook. don't do that. But he, I, I literally was looking at, through stuff and Jimmy Hoffa's picture popped up. And I go, oh my God, they look exactly alike. Is he a Hoffa? Did he have or the last he... name? Yeah. yeah, he's a Hoffa. His, his last wow. name is Hoffa. 
Wow. I, I didn't, I, that was one of the ones I passed up, but what, je, like, give me the brief, like, how, what happened there? Uh, he was a union leader uh, connected with the mob. And, he was the union leader. Yeah, he was the oh. union leader. And uh, he went missing. Um, and it's highly speculated he was killed by the mob. And a lot of people think he was buried under the Cubs stadium. I think it's that Giant Stadium. Giant Stadium? Giant Stadium? Yeah, that's right. Let me, He's let me buried in well, some stadium. If you're in the mob, I would assume that you're going to go missing at some point. Yeah. yeah. Um, the there, There's a lot of stuff that goes into that, and there's a lot of people who've actually taken credit for Mr. Hoffa's death or disappearance. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, that Martin Scorsese film, The Irishman, says huh. that that Robert De Niro killed him. Spoiler. <laughs> um, Wait, like actual quick, Robert for, for De Niro? You guys only? Well, because well, they said you guys only? the last Here's time I saw of him. Of the, of the grandson. Oh, he does look like oh, him. Oh, wow. Right? Does, right? Like, <laughs> so the last a... time so, like, he was like seen was at like a diner and he was meeting with the mafia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's okay, wild. Okay, I'm going to assume the mafia did it then. Just a hunch. It's a fair assumption. He went out like Tony yeah. Soprano, just a blackout. Oh, no. Yeah, right. Um, but, oh, and also like, you know, uh, what's her face? Amelia Earhart. But she was probably eaten by coconut crabs. That's true. Yeah. I think she we talked about The this. coconut crabs. Yeah, she should have, but coconut crabs are fucking huge. Have you seen what they look like? And delicious. They are delicious. <laughs> but they, they're massive monsters. Yeah. They can cut like your finger off with one of those. They can cut through metal. They can cut through coconuts. Cut through, that's what I'm saying. Like, shit. <laughs> What's your statement? This is a coconut crab on top of a trash can. Yeah, see, look at that thing. Oh my God. Yeah. Ew. If that's where they got the idea for head crabs. Yeah. If it makes you feel better, she was probably dead before they ate her. But yeah, yeah. I feel like we've talked about that in the past. Um, but I got a story. I have a story about Mara Murray. Mara Murray was born on May 4th, 1982. So on February 9th, 2004, she was 21 years old at the time, and she was a nursing student. She emailed her supervisors to let them know that she had had a death in the family and needed to go out of town for a week. She was approved for the time off, but the thing is, is she never came back. Mara had packed her things into her car and was traveling through rural New Hampshire on Route 112 when she lost control of the vehicle and crashed into a snowbank. A bus passed by the accident and the driver offered to call the police, but Mara refused and pleaded not to bother as she had already called AAA. The bus driver, who apparently did not trust this woman one bit, decided to call the cops anyways. And when they arrived, they found the car had been abandoned and there were no footprints in the snow to show if she left or if she had been taken. And she hasn't been seen since. When her car was searched, they found she had packed clothing, toiletries, college textbooks, and her birth control pills. When they searched her room, they found she had packed most of her things into boxes and had printed out an email from her boyfriend, which indicated that there had been trouble in the relationship. Hmm. So here's where the really mysterious part comes in. According to Mara's family, There was no death in the family. Absolutely nothing. No one knew what she was talking about. 
several days earlier, Mara, who had who was described as upbeat and a happy individual, had a complete mental breakdown at work and refused to explain why. 48 hours before she vanished, she had borrowed her father's car and had crashed it into a guardrail in the middle of the night. She had had a conversation with her sister, who was a recovering alcoholic, and uh, had been triggered somehow. Well, not somehow. She was triggered by, after she'd been taken out of rehab, her boyfriend took her to a liquor store. And I guess she had this big uh, episode and Mara had talked to her on the phone. And after the conversation, apparently Mara was very upset and withdrawn. And uh, no one's sure what the conversation actually entailed. So to even make it stranger, AAA was never called on the day that she went missing. So for some reason, she didn't want anyone to know about this crash. She had pleaded with the truck driver not to call the cops, lying, saying that she had called AAA. So not sure what that's all about. But the scariest detail of this comes less than 24 hours after she disappeared. Her boyfriend received a voicemail that consisted of nothing but the sound of what he believes Mara sobbing. Oh. And that- Wait, like Mara Sob from Destiny? No. The Queen of the Awoken? No, even worse. Just Mara oh. sobbing. But yeah. I got the vibe from her packing up her stuff and like dipping out like that, that maybe her boyfriend was like abusing her. They didn't live and together. She- well, that doesn't mean he can't be. That's true. That is true. But I don't know if he was named one of the suspects. I mean, the partner's always a sus- suspect, like, mm-hmm. no matter what the situation is. But typically, she probably would have let her mom or somebody know. Yeah, that's true. That they yeah. were trying to get away. And if anything happened to her, it was going to be that guy's fault. Yeah. And then there's another tidbit about this. So she's gone missing, right? They don't find out exactly what happened to her. Mm-hmm. A YouTube profile by the name of Mr. 112 Dirtbag started uploading videos in 2012. He posted a series of online videos that uh, perhaps had something to do with it. Namely, one of the episodes was called Mara Murray. And it's just Ooh. him laughing like a fucking creep. Ew years on the anniversary of her disappearance okay yeah he has a a series of videos let me see i have one right here actually i don't want to hear it see yeah it's this creepy old dude with glasses who's just fucking laughing and did uh, did anybody ever like (laughs) investigate mm -hmm. is that him laughing so no that was me that was Uh, justin doing his doing his foley work um so <coughs> excuse me people looked into it and it's the general consensus that he is just a uh, a crazy person who's looking for attention because they found no actual uh like evidence that he had anything to do with it but in 2006 volunteers had a two-day search within the a few miles of where Murray's car was found and the in the closet of an A-frame house, approximately a mile away from the crash site, cadaver dogs went, and I'm quoting here, bonkers. 
possibly <laughs> identifying the presence of human remains. The house had been the re residence of a man implicated by his brother who had given Fred Murray the rusty knife. And this rusty knife was a, uh, a piece of evidence that was given to um, Mara's dad some years ago, but didn't go anywhere about mm -hmm. it. A sample of the carpet was sent to New Hampshire State Police, but the results were never released to the public. Mm -hmm. So basically what ended up happening was the dad has come out and said that he thinks that his wife is dead and that he thinks that her body was in that house at one point. So he had wanted to do a search of the home, but the owners didn't cooperate and they couldn't get a, you know, warrant. Yeah, they couldn't a, get a warrant. A, a warrant. It was years later and it was purely circumstantial evidence. There wasn't enough to, to make it happen. After the sale of the property, the new owners allowed the, the property to be searched, but the excavation conducted in April of 2019 and they didn't find anything inside the house. That sucks. So isn't that a little sus that they were like, no. That is very suspicious. And then the, the family who owned the house moved. But what can you do? There's no evidence there. Again, it was all just yeah. a, a dog barking, a bunch of cadaver dogs barking, which is suspicious, but not enough to get a warrant. Um, so yeah, and Mara Murray is, to this day, still an unsolved disappearance. That's so, and the whole no footprint thing, that's so crazy. That is scary. It is very yeah. scary. And there's just a lot of unanswered questions revolving around this, this mm -hmm. case, which is, I'm, I'm sure, the case for all of our stories. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I feel bad for her family, though. Oh, yeah, for sure. We'll never know. Mm -hmm. Never have closure. That's, okay. Who's next? That would be me. Ooh. Yes. Um, so I'm talking about another disappearing uh, young woman. Her name was Lauren uh, Spire or Spear. Um, I don't have the exact pronunciation, so I'm just going to say both. And we'll get, a, get someone to say, it's this one at some point. Um, but Lauren was born in uh, 1991 and is presumed dead after she disappeared on the evening of June 3rd, 2011. Um, Basically, she had gone out to this sports bar with um, some friends, uh, seemed to have drank too much, and there's this whole long timeline of the night where the last time she was seen was at 4.30 in the morning, and then she disappeared without a trace. But I'm going to go through the timeline of the event. So, Friday, June 3rd, 2011, 12.30 a.m., witnesses report that Spire left her apartment with a friend named David Ron, Roan, um, the pair went to Jay Rosenbaum's apartment and she met Corey Rossman, Rosenbaum's, where she met up with Corey Rossman, Rosenbaum's neighbor. 1.46 a.m. Spear is seen entering Kilroy's sports bar. 2.27 a.m. Spear is seen exiting the bar with Rossman. Lauren left her cell phone and shoes at the bar. She had taken off her shoes when she walked out onto the sand-covered patio. Rossman walked with Spire to her apartment complex. 2.30 a.m. Spire is seen entering Smallwood Plaza Apartments, where her residence is located. A passerby named Zach Oates noticed her level of inebriation and asked if she was okay. 2.48 a.m. After she left the apartments, Spire entered an alley that runs between College Avenue and Morton Street. Security cameras mounted on the nearby apartments show her exit the alley at 2.51 a.m. and walk toward an empty lot. Spire's keys and purse were found along this route through the alley. Spire and Rossman arrive at Rossman's apartment shortly afterward. 
Michael Beth, Rossman's roommate, was at the apartment. Rossman himself was very intoxicated and stumbling. He vomited on the carpet on the way upstairs. Both stated that he escorted Rossman to bed. Sorry, Beth stated that he escorted Rossman to bed. He then tried to persuade Spyro to sleep over for her own safety. He claimed she said she wanted to return to her own apartment. Beth said he then phoned his neighbor, Rosen, uh, his neighbor, Rosenbaum, wanting him to take care of Spyro. Beth said the Spyro was attempting to get Beth to drink with her at his, her own apartment. She eventually went to Rosenbaum's apartment where he observed a bruise under her eye, presumably sustained in a fall earlier that evening. She told him she didn't know how she got the bruise. Two calls were placed from Rosenbaum's phone shortly before she reported to have left. Rosenbaum said that Spyro placed both calls, one to Ron and one to another friend. Neither picked up and no messages were left. 4.30 a.m. Rosenbaum reports that Spyro left the apartment. This is the last reported sighting of her. He reported last seeing Spyro at the intersection of 11th Street and College Avenue, headed south on College, where she was last seen barefoot, wearing black leggings and a white shirt. Several hours later that morning, Wolf sent, sent Spyro a text. He received a reply from an employee at the bar. Wolf reported Spyro missing. So then this investigation went on for a crazy amount of time. They spent nine days searching a landfill um, in Pimento um, for clues uh, because that's where the town's trash would be taken. Um, and it got like massive media coverage over the course of the next few months um, as people tried to find her. There was no clues. Um, Mom and dad assumed that the boys had something to do with it. Um, they ended up, there was a one point where they um, arrested another man who had been known to expose himself to numerous women, um, but he was released on any sort of murder charge. Um, <laughs> excuse me. Now, the big thing that people had noticed was this, um, uh, the media attention on this one seemed to be the, uh, the same kind of missing white woman syndrome attention. So, like, it was a huge amount of media over this girl when just a uh, a little about two years later another girl another um young white woman this time from a working class family with most of her relatives having some sort of criminal record had less than a day in the news mm. but she disappeared from the same um bar interesting yeah so it just it it really looks into a lot of stuff again the parents have gone after the two boys saying that it's their fault that her their daughter's missing um and as of 2019, she has still not been seen or heard from. Um, I, I've, and I've... You go ahead, Christy. I was going to say, especially with massive media attention like that, it's crazy that they wouldn't find something, you know, yeah. at all. They, they had, uh, yeah, the... The two guys, like, apparently lawyered up, like, immediately as soon as she went and disappeared, and they refused to take polygraph tests, if I recall correctly. Yeah, they didn't want to do any of the polygraphs from the police because they say they didn't trust the police, which is why they lawyered up. But they said that they did take their own private ones and the ones that the FBI asked them to take. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I kind of don't blame them, though. Because, I mean, of course people are automatically... I mean, my first thought was like, oh, yeah, they had with it. And so yeah. that kind of sucks, you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah, they, she, there was a bunch of other stuff that was going on with that case too, with the uh, drug use. Like, um, yeah, she was like real into drugs. Yeah. And yep. I think like that, uh, that evening she was doing like cocaine and like crushed up Klonopin and like 
a bunch of other stuff that that and then people also said that because she was so like she was like really fucked up somebody might have uh slipped something into her drink mm-hmm. earlier that night mm-hmm. um because apparently she was really messed i mean she was walking around barefoot and yeah. falling downstairs and shit yeah um well yeah, and that, her friend threw up on the carpet like <laughs> yeah they were all crashed yeah. yep Ooh. I don't know. Sad. I don't know. What do you got, Kate? Yeah, Kate. So I'm going to preface this. Um, if anybody doesn't know, uh, I'm going to uh, put this information out there, give you guys some knowledge. Um, so according to the National Center of Missing and Exploited Children, of the estimated 613,000 people reported missing in the U.S. last year, about 60% were people of color. Although black women make up less than 7% of the U.S. population, they represent about 10% of all missing persons cases throughout the country. Wow. Estimates by the Black and Missing Foundation put the total number of disappeared black women and girls at 64,000 women and girls. Um, So one of the stories of one of the missing black women um, is LaQuanta Nichelle Riley. She was a high school student, uh, 19 years old. She was also an, she was also on honor roll. She was an honor student, and she re- received a full scholarship to college and in plans to study forensic science and criminal justice. She wasn't a problematic teen with ten- tendencies to wander off and you know not tell anybody where she was going. Um, so when she disappeared, her family was baffled. When LaQuanta was born, her mother was just a teenager. LaQuanta's aunt took on the responsibility of raising her. But LaQuanta's mother was an active part of her life. Uh, she was uh, 19 years old and had five younger siblings, one whom passed away in the mid-1990s and was known to be a v- very vibrant young woman. In 2003, LaQuanta Nichelle Riley was living in Eufaula, Alabama with a roommate until she decided to leave during the Thanksgiving season. She returned to the apartment on December 5th to retrieve the remainder of her belongings, but something occurred that upset her. She telephoned her mother to ask for a ride to Montgomery, Alabama, where her mother resided, but her mother said that she couldn't at the time. LaQuanta made more calls for help and eventually moved in with her aunt and her cousin in Montgomery. Two days later, around 11.30 p.m., LaQuanta walked out of her home and got into a four-door dark green vehicle described as being a Ford Taurus or Chevrolet Caprice. She was taken to her mother's house just three miles away where she got out and met her brother at the door before grabbing a jacket. LaQuanta's brother asked her who was in the vehicle because he didn't recognize the car. She didn't give him a name, but she did say it was a friend that she met in the neighborhood. LaQuanta left her purse and money behind, got into the vehicle, and hasn't been seen since. Three days later, LaQuanta's mother reported her missing and told the police that a mysterious call was left um, on her answering machine. The message was difficult to decipher, but the young woman on the line, who LaQuanta's mother believes was her daughter, said, leave me alone or let me go home. Then a man can be heard in the background saying LaQuanta's name before the call ends. Investigators looked in LaQuanta's name being used uh, to rent an apartment in the area of Stone Mountain, Georgia. LaQuanta's mother took it upon herself to follow the lead and visited the apartment complex. She talked to a person living in the complex, and they told her that LaQuanta had lived down the hall. 
According to the man, the teen came to his apartment, asked to use his phone after she seemed to have gone into an argument with somebody. Unfortunately, the neighbor claimed that Laquanta moved out of the apartment just days before her mother came knocking on his door. At the time of her disappearance, Laquanta was five feet, eight inches tall and around 200 pounds. She describes having black and dark brown hair and brown eyes. She has piercings in both ears and one in her tongue. Laquanta also has two noticeable tattoos, rest in peace or RIP uh, Misha in one arm and her first name on the other. She also goes by the nickname Quanta or Quanta. Anybody who has information on this case or, you know, anybody who might know somebody who does, um, they are um, told to uh, reach out to the Montgomery Police Department um, or their local authorities. And uh, for the Montgomery Police Department, their phone number is 334-625-2810. And she has uh, left nobody has found her or has any leads at the moment jesus well thank you for that kate yeah that's man i don't know that's it seems like there's a lot of cases like that especially the you know her moving into that apartment and then you know is it there, there it could be anything it could be she was taken it could be she left with some guy on purpose yeah you know? it, it, I mean, it almost sounds like I don't, I don't, they didn't specify if, she, so the neighbor said that she had come over and asked to use her, his phone. It did, they didn't specify if that was the phone call where she left the voicemail to her mother. That could have been it. Um, so some, somebody might have her. She, she might still be alive and there's, but there's, there's so many cases like this. There's a, there's a website, um, Let's see. Give me one second. Stuff like that's so scary. Oh yeah. Because I have no answers, like nothing. Mm hmm Just nothing no answers and more questions. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean that's the the whole topic of the episode is just mysterious disappearances, you know. If there that's were true. You know, if there were answers, it would just be another case of, oh, this person was murdered or this person got kidnapped or, you know, there would be some closure. But the fact that makes all these so compelling is that you just don't have the answers. And yeah, that's what never will. Yeah. I, I feel like a lot of people are so, you know, into movies and books and television where there's a structure and there's an ending and there are these things but in real life most of the time something happens you won't know the reason why exactly. um yeah um so the website that you can um that is all about all of the black uh women and, ch and children or little girls who have been um going missing there's a there's a lot um it, the website is ourblackgirls.com and you can go in and find uh all of their stories um and all of the numbers you can call if you have any information on any of the cases yeah which awesome. leads to a good Thanks point if you do that. have any information uh call those numbers yes please it's vitally important yes it is I didn't make, mean to make this episode such a downer yet. <laughs> so sad. It's okay, and in fact, I, it's I think it's been well handled with a lot of this. You know, it, we can talk about other things in a, a comedic fashion, but sometimes we need to have a a real moment of mm -hmm. hey, especially with everything right now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So 
it's important. I'm glad you put that in there, Kate. Thank you for that. Thanks. All right, Justin, oh, your turn. Okay. Oh, wait. Oh, is it my turn? <laughs> oh, it's your turn. <laughs> oh, God, guys. I forgot the rotation. <laughs> so this is why I can't host. See? I'm terrible. Um, so the thing I chose is a little different than y'all. I chose uh, the Roanoke Colony. Oh, Are that's guys... that's kind of spooky. Yeah, I went the spooky route, not the like it could happen to you route, you know. Well, I mean, technically, yeah. Roanoke could happen to anyone. Yeah, one I day mean, Long Beach is just gone. <laughs> California might be gone if we keep it up. Yeah, we're gonna um, float away. Yeah. So, are you guys familiar with this? I'm assuming yes by all of your reactions. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Okay. Pretty cool. So, <laughs> the reason that I I got into this one was because of it's widely known mostly because of and the reason that people talk about it so much is because of the um i guess governor at the time whose name was john white who actually started the roanoke colony the reason that he made it so widely known was because his granddaughter virginia dare who i put was she was born in 1587 her date of death is unknown and she was the first English child born in a New World English possession. And she was only one of two children born, and she was the only female that was born in the colony. Uh, she was born in the Roanoke Colony, which is now North Carolina. And little is known about either of her parents. Uh, we know that her mother's name was Eleanor, who was born in London around 1563, who was the daughter of John White. And her father was named and I'm going to butcher this, Ananias Dare. They just don't make uh, names like they used to. Uh, that was really good. Ananias was pretty close. Ananias. Well, we went from, am I, did I say it right? Yeah, you did it really well. Uh-huh. I mean, I, I went from John White to that, so <laughs> a little hard. Ananias. Yeah. Like demon. Uh, so what happened to Virginia and the other colonists at Roanoke is still a mystery to this day. No one knows. Um, the only reason that we even know that Virginia and that other child were born is because, like I said, her grandfather, John White, was the governor of the colony. He's the one who started the colony. Mm-hmm. Um, so John left to go on an expedition to get them supplies and stuff that needed, and he was gone for three years. So after he came back um, from getting supplies in 1590, he came back to find out that everyone and everything in the colony that he had started was gone, completely gone. And this is a direct quote from the Wikipedia page because it was, I didn't, it just sounds better coming from this. Um, He was unable to return to Roanoke until August 18, 1590 due to England's war with Spain and the pressing need for ships to defend against the Spanish Armada, by which time he found that the settlement had been long deserted, the buildings had collapsed and the houses were taken down. Worse, White was unable to find any trace of his daughter or granddaughter or indeed any of the 80 men, 17 women, and 11 children who made up the colony. And the thing, so like I said, nothing is 100% known about what happened and nothing will ever be known about what happened. But when White came back, he noted that there were no signs of a struggle or a battle and that the structures that they had built had been dismantled which meant that whenever they left or whatever happened, they weren't in a hurry. They didn't rush out and like tear everything down or like break it. Uh, The only clue that he found was the word Croatoan carved into a post. 
and the letters C-R-O that were carved into a tree. Uh, before he left to go on the journey, he had instructed his family that if anything were to happen to them, they were to leave a Maltese cross in a tree, which would indicate to him that they had been forced to leave, which he didn't find that. So, and then this is a, the theories, this is also a direct quote. There are a number of theories regarding the fate of the colonists. The most widely accepted one being that they sought shelter with local Indian tribes and either intermarried with the natives or were killed. In 1607, John Smith and other members of the successful Jamestown colony sought information about the fate of their own colonists, which, yeah, I would want to know, too. Like, before I live here, can we, like, right. figure that out? <laughs> I don't want to be here. Uh, one report indicated that the survivors had taken refuge with friendly Chesapeake Indians. The chief, Powhatan, claimed that his tribe had attacked the group and killed most of the colonists. He showed them, uh, Smith, certain artifacts that he had said belonged to the colonists, including a musket barrel and a brass mortar and pestle. However, no archaeological evidence exists to support this claim. The Jamestown colony received reports of some survivors of the lost colony and sent out search parties, but none were successful. Mm. Eventually, they determined that they were all dead. And uh, a guy named William Strachey, uh, a secretary of the Jamestown colony, wrote in the History of Travel into Britannia, Britannia in 1612 that there were reportedly two-story houses with stone walls at the Indian settlements of, I can't, that Pecker Reckonick, <laughs> and I'm not even going to try You fucking that. nailed it. Yeah. This one, though, Ochenohoen? Something like that. Something along those lines. Oh, keep, uh, keep, say, keep saying these names, Chris. You're knocking them out apart. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to offend somebody, but I'm trying, guys. I swear. Down them out. You're doing good. Doing good. Uh, the Indians supposedly learned how to build them from the Roanoke settlers. There were also reported sightings of European captives at various Indian settlements during the same time period. Strachey also wrote that four Englishmen, two boys, and one maid had been sighted at the Eno settlement of Rittenock under the protection of a chief called Ayanoko. The captives were forced to beat copper. Captives, he reported, had escaped the attack on the other colonists and fled up the Choanoke River, the present day. Chowan River in Birdie County, North Carolina. Hmm. A little history lesson for you. But yeah, they have no idea what happened to them. He just came back. And the weird thing for me is that, like he like he said, like they didn't rush. It wasn't like they burnt it down or like tore it down in a bad way. Everything was like dismantled carefully. So they weren't hurried out of there or anything. Which yeah. is weird. I I definitely believe the idea that they were running out of supplies and then they decided to fuck it and go and try to join some of the local tribes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I can definitely see that. Because I knew what they were doing. Yeah, although, I mean, it is more fantastical and adds a bit of... I would, whimsy is a bad word, but... <laughs> um, mystique. Fan, mystique, fantasy to the world that, you know, something spooky came and, you know, they all disappeared. I think yeah, the I, thought, only, I thought Kathy Bates killed them all. I was going to say, the only thing that I think we can all agree on is that Roanoke is the worst American horror story season. Yes. It's, it's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I should note that that Croatoan thing, I should have, I made notes, but I didn't read it. Um, they were a small Native American group living in the coastal areas in North Carolina. So maybe, like, it could be two things. It could be them saying, ha ha. Gotcha. Or it could be his family saying, like, yeah, we're with these people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But either way, they, they're they mm-hmm. gone. No one knows. Hmm. 
Croatoa. Croatoa. Uh, cool. I, I have yeah. a I have another older one that's kind of spooky. Spooky shit. Um, so this one's the uh, the Flannan uh, Isles Lighthouse. Ooh. So in 1900, bam, right there at the turn of the century, it uh, this happened. So the Flannan Isles are a small island group off the coast of Scotland, and it's located right in the path of a major shipping route. So hmm. the reason you would buy, you would build lighthouses is to, you know, show people, hey, there's land here, so they can navigate the, the treacherous waters of the North Atlantic so they can, you know, get their ships to where they need to go on time. So in December 1900, the lighthouse was kept up and running by a three-man crew which consisted of Thomas Marshall, James Ducat, and Donald MacArthur, who were only supposed to spend 14 days there. And since this episode is about mysterious disappearances, I can go ahead and tell you they were never found after those 14 days. Yeah. So what had happened was a few days after a major storm hit the Isles, a passing boat noticed the lighthouse's light. The whole reason to have a fucking lighthouse was out. So the, a team soon arrived at the locked lighthouse after this ship had landed. Or like, hey, somebody's not doing their job. There's something, you know, going on there. And it's 1900. They're not easily reached. They're in the middle of the ocean on these islands in a tiny little lighthouse. That movie, The Lighthouse is uh, sort of inspired by this case. So as soon as the team arrived, they found that the lighthouse was occupied by only unmade beds and an untouched meal on the table. All three men were missing. Nowhere to be found. I thought you were going to say that um, when they arrived, they found Robert Pattinson having some private time. Uh, He could have (laughs) been. They could have been doing something. So... Basically, the rescue ship wrote it off as, oh, they were caught outside in a storm and they drowned, right? Like, it was a major storm. It gets pretty fucking crazy out there. They're on this tiny island. They probably, somebody might have fallen in. The two guys might have jumped in to save them and they all drowned, right? But this was proven wrong because one of the keeper's rain jacket was left inside the house. And the logbook showed entries that the weather had cleared. So they went missing after the storm. Huh. Yeah. So the current theory is that a freak wave swept the three men away. But that hinges on the idea that three very experienced lighthouse keepers completely ignored regulations, which is one, there's always supposed to be somebody inside the lighthouse, no matter what. So there's no way all three of these guys would have left the lighthouse together for any reason that didn't involve someone or something crying blood. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so if it was a something freak... Something bad had to have happened. So if a freak wave happened, maybe got one, maybe two, but the third person would have still been yeah. inside the lighthouse. Yeah. Unless he came down to try to save them. Maybe. Maybe. It is suspicious to say the least but there's some other some other notes about this so let's see here where where are my notes i have 
I write my notes in weird ways and they're <laughs> not very helpful at times. <laughs> so you write them in Cornell notes? Yeah, basically. Haven't fucking haven't heard that name in years. <laughs> um, so not only was the door locked to the lighthouse and the beds were unmade and there was a thing of food just sitting there, the clocks had all Wait, stopped. Locked? Like someone locked it, Kayla? It was locked. So they locked it from behind themselves. So they revealed that the lamps inside had been cleaned and refilled. A, sit, uh, a set of oil skins was found, suggesting that the keepers had left the lighthouse without them. There was just a lot of stuff. Basically, everything that they had put in there was that they had been missing for about a week by the time they, uh, the uh, rescuers had arrived. And they, the, uh, the meal that they had on the table, was it for just one person or was it set for all three? It was just set for one person? It, it was a single meal. So people think that they could have been blown over a cliff. But again, it's that situation where there was always one person inside the lighthouse at a time. Yeah. So something I must think, have happened. I think one of the guys went crazy like the lighthouse and murdered the other two and was like, oh, shit, I got to get out of here. And then he just left everything and like locked the door real quick and dipped out. Or his guilt or his guilt took over and he went and just jumped into the water. and Or that. Could be. Could be. Or, but, he, or he found a mermaid. So, <laughs> no. Um, he could have. Allegedly, in that logbook, there are some creepy uh, entries. Ooh. So Thomas Marshall says on December 12th that there were severe winds, the likes of which I have never seen before in 20 years. He is also to have said that he reported that James Ducat had been very quiet and Donald MacArthur had been crying. MacArthur was a veteran mariner with a reputation for brawling. And thus, it would have been strange for him to be crying in response to the storm. Log entries on the 13th of December were said to have stated that the storm was still raging. Uh, ra raging. Log entries on the... I have my retainers in, so I'm like... <laughs> raging cage. Raging. So, let me start that one over again. Log entries on the 13th of December were said to have stated that the storm was still raging and that all three men had been praying. This was also puzzling as all three men were experienced light, lighthouse keepers who knew they were in a secure structure 150 feet above sea level and they should have known they were safe inside. Furthermore, there were no reported storms in the area on the 12th, 13th, or 14th of December. The final log entry is said to have been made on the 15th of December stating, storm ended, sea calm, God is over all. An investigation by Mike Dash for the 40 and Times revealed the log books were later additions to the story not based on fact. So a lot of the creepiness from the story comes from these were added after the fact to what happened. But still very, very, very creepy. Very creepy. Along the lines. Um, some people also said that a fight broke out, that the three men kind of either got into a, an argument and then it led to being violent. Um, and it led to all three men falling over overboard, being why they can't find the bodies because they're out to sea. Yeah. Or that one of the men went insane, killed the other two, and then killed themselves. Um, That's it. Or, or, now hear me out. Oh. Aliens. <gasps> I mean, it could always aliens. be aliens. Aliens. Yeah. It could, literally, literally any 
conspiracy theory or unanswered question, aliens. Aliens, it could. Aliens. Yep. So that is the mystery of the Flannan Isles Lighthouse. Wow. Yeah. I, I, they just went overboard. I think they probably fell and died. And... I like to theory that you know, one of them went a little crazy. You like to think that? Yeah. I like to think that. They, I enjoy thinking that way. <laughs> I just think it's weird that they only had a setting for one. There was only one meal yeah. at the table, which makes me think that the other two were already gone. Yeah. Yeah. He killed it, and then he was like, damn, I'm hungry. I'm about to be on the run for a while. Let me have a meal real quick. And but then he, he was like, no time. But he didn't even eat it. That's what I'm saying. He made it, and then he was like, I got no time. I got to go. He was, he was so, like, overcome with guilt that he was like, I can't even eat this. That's true. <laughs> well, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go The end. walking the door thing, though, was like. Well, I mean, because like, I mean, he's like, well, I got to get, I got I to gotta keep everything else safe for the next people. So he was like, I'm just, I'm just so over, overcome with guilt. I I'm I'm I can't eat this meal. I'm leaving. He went outside, locked the door, make sure everything was pristine for the next people. Because he obviously the 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 candles or the 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 lanterns the oil, were yeah and oiled. Everything was clean, and uh, he went out and he just went uh, sayonara. <laughs> it's true, and I might just be talking out of my ass because they make a point to say that all the beds were left unmade. Now I definitely don't make my bed. On yeah. a regular basis. Um, well, I have been recently, but normally I don't. Normally, yeah. So I don't know if it was like in 1900, that was the fucking thing to do. You better make your goddamn bed. You're a lighthouse keeper. You better fucking act like one. <laughs> so, because that could also open up like, hey, man, they left in a hurry. Something bad happened. Yeah. But not too much of a hurry that they filled the things and then locked the door. It was also three men. They, they weren't having kids, yeah. so you think they really would, They really cared about making their beds? Probably not. Well, a lot of these guys were seasoned mariners, and, and you know, there's an order. I, I, I'm just kind of doing some conjecture. I don't know if any of them served in, like, military or whatever, but if they had been, you know, actual sailors, they may have had, I mean, not that they would have been sleeping in anything other than hammocks and cots, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I, just, I don't know what the, uh, what was considered good manners back then. I don't know if that's... Because there are still people today that are like, you better fucking make your bed. That's the... Or maybe they just all hated each other so much and just <laughs> under each other's skins, they didn't make their beds. That's true. <laughs> and that's why they got in a fight. And two of them you got really got to hate somebody to not make it 14 days without fucking killing them. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that, that's more than just, yeah, yeah. that motherfucker uh, chews his mouth open. I'm not <laughs> making it a week. Not at all. Yeah. I just went crazy. All right. Anybody got anything else? I Kate do. does. Do it. All right. Let me get, let me let me sit back up real quick. Wait, real quick before we do. I need to do my foley art for the lighthouse. I forgot to do it. Here we go. Yeah, please. There you go. Oh, it sounds like there's a storm outside. Storms are brewing. Yar. <laughs> Decide and be angry this evening. <laughs> All right. You have endured the wrath of Poseidon. So, uh, this story is about uh, Dennis Lloyd Martin. Uh, Dennis was born on June, June 20th of 1962. Um, he was from America. 
I mean, and he disappeared on June 14, 1969, and uh, the Great Smoky Mountains National Park in Tennessee, and he was six years old. Um, they say that the search effort was the most extensive in parks history, involving approximately 1,400 searchers and a 56-square-mile area. Holy moly. Huge. That is huge. Yeah. Uh, surf efforts, including a separate search by the National Guard and Special Forces, found no trace of this, this boy. Um, they were in this national park um, with his family, with his parents, and um, he had met another little boy, and they were playing. And they were playing hide-and-seek and just popping up and, up and behind bushes and rocks and running after each other and finding each other. When um, all of a sudden, Dennis went behind a bush. His father watched him go behind a bush, crouch down and hide, and then literally disappear. What the huh. fuck? Could not find him. What? Um, yeah. So there were heavy rains during the first day of searching. He oh, must have no. um, just fell into like a sinkhole I, I mean they searched i mean you just heard they searched 56 square miles and they could not find him um so um up to 1400 people were involved in the search effort potentially obscuring possible clues oh but prints were found in the area but dismissed it being martin's and um determined by park officials to have been left by a boy scout participating in the search the child-sized footprints led to a stream where they disappeared. The tracks indicated that one foot was barefoot while the other was in an Oxford, which was the type of shoe Martin was wearing, or mm. a tennis shoe. Retired mm. park ranger and author Dwight McCarter believes that the prints likely belonged to Martin as the tracks were not part of a group and none of the Boy Scouts were searching while barefoot. And then a shoe and a sock were also found nearby by june 22nd 50 square miles of ground had been covered more than a thousand searchers continued to look until june 26th when the search was cut back the search was abandoned on june 29th after our last search the search was officially closed down on september 14th 1969 and as of 2020 it is still the largest search in history of the great smoky mountains national park dennis's father offered us uh five thousand dollars and that's that was back then. So now that's equivalent to about $35,000. Oh my God. Um, um, in reward for any information. Um, uh, there were a, a couple psychics, including, uh, Jean Dixon who, you know, offered clues, but you, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. a few years after uh, ginseng hunter claimed to have discovered the scat scattered skeletal remains of a small child in big hollow Tremont. He kept the um, he kept the find to himself until 1985 because of the fear that he would be prosecuted for the illegal ginseng. Um, and they searched, and it turned up with nothing. Uh, the unsuccessful search for Martin led to the National Park Service to review and amend its policies on searching for missing people. Uh, there are three main theories about what happened to Martin. The first is that he became lost and perished from exposure and maybe some other causes, likely during the first night. Um, this is, they say, is the most probable theory um, by the 
park officials. They say that's probably what happened. The second is that he was attacked by a hungry bear um, or maybe a feral pig um, and was carried off away into that per that animal's den. den dining area. Uh, the third is that he was abducted and taken out of the park by something or someone. His father was a prominent um, was prominent of the third theory. So people had their speculations about father's um, involvement involvement in this. On the mm -hmm. afternoon that, dis uh, that Martin disappeared, tourist Harold Keene, his family heard an enormous sickening scream, and shortly thereafter witnessed a man covered in hair, seemingly, seemingly hiding and attempting to flee the scene. Park Rangers and the Federal Bureau of Investigation concluded that there was insufficient evidence to link the sighting to Martin's disappearance, particularly given that the Keys sighting was approximately five miles away from where Martin had disappeared. Uh, the sighting occurred a little while after Dennis went missing. The, fa the family also added the man in the woods had something slumped over his shoulder, a highly visible red matching the color shirt Martin was wearing that day when he went missing. Hmm. Man wow. covered in hair. Yeah, I mean, maybe Bigfoot? <laughs> That's actually a, a thing that people talk about is that Bigfoot is the reason why a lot of people go missing on hiking trails. Could be. That's not, the first, that's not the first time I've heard of that, actually. Huh. That's so strange, though, for him <laughs> to go behind a bush and then just completely... Yeah. Disappear. Like, my first thought was, like, oh, he fell down side of a... Like, what if he fell down, like, side of a cliff right there and then, like, knocked unconscious and then was, like, trying to walk around to find something? So, Justin, you said you had one? Uh, yeah. So, we're going to be talking in a lot of hypotheticals right now. Um, oh, okay, just because okay. this might be a real thing, and I don't want um, to, you know, make people go, uh, excuse me? Uh, so, imagine, if you will, a young couple, um, and they're young, in saying young, I, I would say, like, oldest 33. Okay. Um, and they've been married since high school. There was some stuff uh early pregnancy and married like in high school okay got it um now these people the wife is fantastic uh we're gonna call her julie for the hell of it so i can at least give a name and then there's the husband and he's kind of a human okay. <laughs> what um but they this this couple has two really sweet children and a couple months ago just before 4th of July Julie apparently according to husband's testimony um, he was working all weekend went to work on Friday came back on Sunday and uh, as he pulled in to the house um, Julie pulled out of her car or like in her car pulled out and left without so much as a word, leaving the, the children behind and the husband behind. Okay. Um, in this whole thing, Julie's mom, who is, they don't have the, they kind of have a, a little bit of a volatile relationship, calls her phone number and says, um, hey, I need to know you're safe or I'm calling the police. And 
is yelled at by a female voice saying, I'm fine, leave me alone, hang, and then it hangs up. Now, the, now, now's where it gets a little wild. Julie apparently is seen in, like, in uh, Reno by um, husband's best friend and her best friend, apparently. Seen in Reno, apparently dating some guy and in a new job. Now, the kicker is no one can get a hold of Julie on cell phone via text message or phone call. <laughs> and that 48 hours from Friday to Sunday, nobody but husband has uh, had seen her. So there is maybe a little bit of a connotation that maybe Julie didn't actually leave her house and husband has pulled some people in on a bit of a murder. Um, yeah. Um, because there is no, and here's the, the big thing is like, there was one use of the credit card in Reno mm-hmm. three days after she went missing. The card has not been used again. Hmm. Oh. Um, a family member texted Julie's phone and said, Hey, I'm worried about you. Um, can you call me so at least I know that you're safe? And yeah. gets an explosive text message back like, I can't believe you would treat me like this. So in my belief, there's a high possibility that the husband may have made her disappear. He is known to have been a not-so-nice person. Mm-hmm. Um, I, have, I wish I could somehow make it work because they won't file a missing persons report. I don't know why. Don't ask me. Mainly because the husband said, no, she's in Reno. So mom hasn't filed a missing persons report. But I, have a, I, I bet you, I have, I have a, a distinct feeling that if the missing persons report is filed and they do a search on the phone, like without telling the husband, do a search on the phone, they will find the phone in the house. Oh, that yeah. She's in I feel that. Uh, husband is acting sus as fuck. Especially yeah. if it's his friend that saw her in Reno. Yeah. yeah, that's real convenient. Yeah. And without yeah. disclosing a lot of information, Justin, would they don't live anywhere near Reno? No, they do not live anywhere near Reno. So it's kind of l- lucky that the friend saw her in a city yeah. X miles away during a time when no one knows where she is. Allegedly already yeah. has a new job and a new boyfriend. Yeah. That is suspicious. Yeah. And, like, the, the, there was a running thing where, like, well, we think maybe she got into drugs. And I'm like, I don't know. She didn't ever seem like the person to get into drugs like that. Hmm. Yeah. But, you know. You never know. That's you never know. Time to break the case, Justin. I know. I really, I'm like, I, if, I wish I, I knew how to. Rear window it, man. <laughs> that always turns out see well. It. Well, I've been trying to see if the, if there's like websites online because I'm sure there is where you can like look up a phone number and you could tell it could tell you where the phone is. Yeah, that's true. And what what year was this? Oh, this was uh, this year. This was a oh, couple this months year. ago. Yeah. Oh yeah, find my own phone. But can you do that without even with your with just the phone number? If you just go to find my iPhone. If they were on the same, if they were on the same bill, I think they can. Right, but if they're on the same bill as the husband and the husband has the phone, and it, then that's where it gets but it, but that, that would obviously like 
take him off the suspect list if he actually did that. But no, find my iPhone can only be done from your iPhone. Or I mean, from, you like an Apple product. You? From an Apple product. You have to log into like an Apple account, like on a laptop or something like that. So if you have find my iPhone, you log in. Like let's say I use my laptop and I lost my iPhone, I could log in on my laptop and look at it that way. But I would have to know my Apple login. So if he doesn't know that or no one knows that, then or they. But could, I'm sure that there would be a way to recover that. Yeah, or you can like go to fucking the Apple Store or you know something like hey. You know, they probably, like, if they're, if they bought their phones at the same place, especially if it's Apple, they would be under the same Apple account, maybe not the same login, but, but, you know, mm-hmm. they would have a history of who bought the phone. Yeah, but Apple's weird about it. Like, they've had, that's been, like, an issue in the past is that, like, Apple is, like, no, because it's their personal private stuff, and they won't do it. I think even like I think there was something like a couple years ago, and correct me if I'm wrong, anybody who's listening to this, but like the FBI had to get involved because Apple was like straight up like, no, we're not going to give you access. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's, yeah, that was a real thing. That's interesting, Justin. That's suspicious. You have to keep us updated to that. Yeah, I will. I wonder if she had like an uh, and like an iPad. Oh, uh, it would probably yeah. like if it's an iPad or or if she had an, a Mac computer. It would have the mm-hmm. same login, and you can do it from there. That's yeah. Probably. It, and it's to say, if the guy hasn't already just taken the phone off of the... Yeah, he probably yeah. still paying the bill for it. And Yeah, because yeah. then you could always just be like, hey, yeah, yeah, she left. I ain't paying for a phone bill anymore. Yeah. But you don't need the phone bill. Like, you don't... The phone doesn't have to be, like, have service on it in order to track it. It just has to be on and have, like, Wi-Fi or some sort of, like, internet signal. Right, but what I'm saying is if he does that, then he can just destroy the phone. Oh, you know? yeah. You know what I mean? Because he can be like, yeah, I took her, and then no one can text that phone anymore because it's, I took it off the account. I'm not yeah, paying for it anymore. So, yeah. hmm. Very mysterious. Very yeah. mysterious. Interesting. Thank you, Justin. Yeah. Uh, thanks for that. Yeah. So that's, uh, yeah, then I'm, that's about as, I'm, we'll say that that's all hypothetical. That yeah. that totally didn't happen. Wow, what an interesting web you've weaved. What a, you painted us a cool word picture <laughs> of this completely fabricated story. Completely not true, and nobody knows. Yeah, I think that's probably going to do it for us. Then I think. Yeah. I think okay. So. All right. Well, this has been another lively episode of Curse of the Podcast. Justin, you want to do our chat? I see you getting it ready. He knows. I am. I. Very <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we are on Twitter as I'm okay as I'm on Drinking Geeks Twitter. That doesn't help me out. Hey, <laughs> shameless plug! Shameless, shameless plug. plug. Next episode should come out on Thursday. It's usually Wednesday. Hey. We had some technical difficulties, but back to Twitter uh, for cursed uh, curse of the podcast. We are at cursed underscore podcast. For Instagram, we are at cursed podcast or curse of the podcast. Damn it, Justin, get your life together. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much. I, <laughs> unfortunately, it's hard to jump through this. Curse of the podcast on Twitter or on Instagram. Blah, 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 blah. And our Gmail, if you want to send in a listener story, add any credence to um, fact check us. Fact check us, or you have info on missing peoples. That is cursedpodcast at gmail.com. <sighs> and we're on Facebook, Curse of the Podcast as well. And where can you listen? Oh, you can listen all over the place. We're on Spotify. <laughs> we're on Google Play. We're on Stitcher. We're on Apple iPod or i i 
podcasts, All Apple podcasts, that's things, and uh, SoundCloud. So, Dope. yeah, lots right. of places. Excellent. Well, it was cool talking to you guys. Thanks for hanging out. For yeah. sweet. Yeah, Absolutely. and we'll we'll see you guys next time. Okay. Bye. Bye. Bye.